We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy. I'm going to crush it at being a husband. Happy anniversary, babe. Great idea coming here. It's been an amazing year. It sure has. <laughs> Wait, you do gifts on your anniversary? Why did nobody tell me this? Didn't he forget my gift? Quick, say something. I also ordered you a gift. It has not gotten here yet. <laughs> I have a feeling I know what it is. I mean, I've been hinting pretty heavily. Absolutely no idea. So, um, there's been something I've been wanting to talk to you about. Uh-oh. She caught me using the decorative soaps again. Have you, uh, thought about us having a baby? Kids, we just got married. Are you serious? I can't create a human. Yep, he's totally freaking out right now. Ah, crying, mess, noise, poop, lots of poop. Honey. Yes. What? <laughs> um, I'm ready to think about ha having the Why don't you open your gifts? Okay. <laughs> what? We made a baby. You're pregnant. Yeah, I'm so pregnant. Oh, um, like how much? Like a hundred percent. Like all the way pregnant. Ah! <laughs> it's gonna be a boy. He's gonna be awesome. He's gonna play football. It's gonna be a girl. She's gonna be my best friend. I'm gonna teach him how to build stuff. She's gonna do ballet. Throw stuff. Shopping. Break stuff. Theater. Burn stuff. Mommy's little princess. He's gonna be my little buddy. We're having a baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. We're gonna crush parenting. I'm gonna crush it at being a dad. Cheers. <laughs> um, yeah, this is gonna need to be decaf. Is that a, is that a pregnant thing? <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna miss those guys, aren't we? We're gonna miss them hearing about their life. So welcome to week four of this series, What Happy Couples Know. We're so glad that you could be here with us. Right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes if you want to go ahead and grab those out. If everyone can do that, grab your pen and do some fill-in-the-blanks so you can take that with you. Uh, we also want to thank our partner church, North Point, for the shared content that we've been using throughout this series. And also we want to thank uh, those of you watching in the parent viewing room. Uh, that's a great place to go if you have little ones that get fussy during the service. We just kindly ask that you make your way to the back and an usher can help you find that room where you can watch that service live with us. Well, this has been a really fun series uh, to learn and grow together, and I believe that we have saved the best for last. Everyone say the best for last. Are you excited? Are you ready? Turn to the person next to you and say, get ready. It's going to be a good time. And so what do happy couples know? Let's just do a quick review. And so if you missed out any of our other three weeks, you want to catch up online at riverwaychurch.com and watch those back. Um, but we, we've talked about a few things, that how we all of us bring um, our hopes, dreams, and desires into a relationship, and we end up handing them to the other person, and they become expectations, right? And so there's a few things that we've learned throughout this that happy couples know and apply to their relationships. And the first week we talked about how happy couples know that they owe each other everything but are owed nothing in return right they owe each other everything but are owed nothing in return and that doesn't even really make sense until two people really start applying this and when two people live like that something powerful takes place uh, then we talked about the submission competition and how we're all in this race that God wants us to be in a race to the end of the line your box first your hopes dreams and desires first ahead of me you first you first you first so it's the submission competition and then last week we talked about how happy couples know where to bring their relational anxiety and frustrations and that we first bring them to God we bring 
bring him to our heavenly father in prayer and he does something in our hearts and he does something in the life of our spouse that greatly helps us navigate this thing we call marriage. And so today, uh, there is one last thing that happy couples know that we're going to talk about. And it's the very first fill-in on your notes that's going to get us going. And it says this, that happy couples know that they have an important choice to make. Happy couples know that they have an important choice to make. Everyone say the word choice. And this is so important, and this is really what we're going to drive home in on today. So what is that choice that every person makes that they don't even know they make that makes all the difference? Uh, Well, before we answer that, I think it'd be really important to point out that I I think that our culture really does a, a poor way of defining love for us. And part of the problem is that we only have one word for love. And so the same word that you use to define your sacrifice and care for your children or your commitment to a spouse for the rest of your life is the same word you use to describe a Juicy Lucy cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ever had a Juicy Lucy? I mean, you know that you love those burgers. And so you love your children, you love your spouse, and you love a Juicy Lucy, right? We have one word that defines it all. And so that can be problematic, Uh, Also, in our culture, if you listen to music, you find out that any song written about love actually gets it wrong all the time. And uh, one of those songs that's kind of out right now, it has the lyric, I'm in love with the shape of you, you know? I'm in love with the shape of you, in love with your body, right? Okay. And, I mean, you talk about, I mean, there, that's a huge problem there because you give that shape about 20 years. And let me tell you, that shape would be a changing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you are only with someone because of the shape of their body, you better buckle up, buddy, uh, because that's going to change over time. Now, obviously, my wife married me for my body. I mean, we know that. I mean, that's obvious. But this shape probably is not a changing, right? And so that's a problem as well. Uh, but our culture, we just don't define it well. And so to help us kind of illustrate this, I wanted to draw this circle right here. And if this, were, this circle were to represent and encompass what a loving relationship looked like, like if we could define a relationship filled with love, what elements would need to be in there? Let me hear it. What is it? What do we need in a loving relationship? Forgiveness. forgiveness. That's a good one. Let's write forgiveness. Okay, what else? Trust. What else? Honesty. That's a good one. Honesty. What else? Respect. Oh, that's a great one. Yep. Sacrifice. That's a great one. Okay, what else? Communication. That's a big one. What else? Loyalty. What? Someone else said something else back there? Compromise. Sure. Once in a while, you suppose you got to compromise. Except it's the other person first. Okay, so we won't go into that. But, all right, uh, you know, it's interesting. When you look at our culture, they typically define love and relationships. When, and, and the way they define it is through emotions and feelings. What's interesting about every single thing that you gave me in this circle, none of them were about feelings and emotions. All of these things have one thing in common. That they all are a choice that we get to make every single day, right? All of these things, let's go through it. Trust, is that a choice? Honesty, is that a choice? Respect, is that a choice? Sacrifice, is that a choice? Communication, choice? I'm not hearing a lot of yeses. Loyalty, is that a choice? Compromise, is that a choice? Forgiveness, is that a choice? 
See, the problem is that we oftentimes gauge our relationship on feelings and emotions, which we'll talk about more in just a minute. But this whole idea of our culture, you know, when it comes to feelings and emotion and all of that, this is how they would define a relationship. They would say, number one, you need to have fun, right? We need to have fun, and we're laughing together, and oh, it's great. And then that fun and laughter, it leads to chemistry, which we need to have in a relationship and all that's wonderful. And then number three, we just start having sex. And so we have fun and we have chemistry and we have sex and all of a sudden we think that that's what a relationship is supposed to be built on. And while all those things are important in a marriage, it's not what you build a marriage on. These are the things that might start a marriage. They're certainly not enough to build it on. And this whole idea that our culture, you know, puts out there again and again reminds me of this show, The Bachelor, right? Anybody ever seen the, the show, The Bachelor, right? Not that any of you watch it, and some of you husbands, you're just being a supportive spouse. I get it. But the whole idea of this show, The Bachelor, is you get, you know, one chiseled, strapped, just gorgeous dude that just can't keep his shirt on for the life of him. And uh, then you have 30 beautiful women that go into this mansion, right? That even if they pooled all their resources together, they would never be able to afford the mansion. But here are these 30 beautiful women and they start sending them on dates. And the whole idea of the game is to find out who's gonna fall in love at the end of the day with their bachelor. And the dates that they go on, um, they're very, very similar, like uh, dates that Tara and I go on. Uh, you know, where like the helicopter lands on the grass in our front lawn and picks us up and takes us to our own private island. And, you know, and then we just sit on there and have a candlelight dinner. I mean, it's wonderful. And then, you know, we hear some music or something, and we look beyond the palm trees, and there's you two, like, singing to us, you know, with or without you. And it's like, oh, oh, and then we just dance in the night. I don't know about you, but that's a regular date night for us. But that's what this show is, right? The most ridiculous date nights ever. And within a matter of days, maybe even hours, they're all in love with The Bachelor. Like, it's just amazing. They don't even know him. But all 30 women are madly in love with this guy. And then week by week... One by one, he has to send them away packing, saying, I have not chosen you. And they get into the limousine, and they talk to the limo cam, and they're crying. <laughs> I thought he was going to be my soulmate. Like, we really connected that one time when we were wearing the same color shirt. I mean, he was so beautiful, right? I mean, so I'm not, it was just ridiculousness. But then The Bachelor, at the end of it, you know, he finally narrows it down to the last person who's going to be there forever, love, mm which lasts about six months, and then they break up, right? And you wonder, and you look around, and you say, especially in Hollywood, like, how come none of these couples can stay together? Why is there so many people breaking up, and it just doesn't matter? Because of how our culture has defined love, right? And it's not about choices, but rather it's about all of these things. You see, after marriage, every single relationship starts having problems. And the reason I know this is because I am married, Right? Every relationship has problems. And when your relationship starts facing troubles, guess what? You're not having as much fun, the chemistry starts to fade, and you're not having sex. And so you know what you think to yourself? I've fallen out of love, and now I need to go find somebody new. See, the most problematic relationships, your next fill in your notes, the most problematic relationships are those that are led by emotions instead of choices. Emotions instead of choices. And everything in this circle that you gave me 
to what defined a loving relationship, the qualities that you would see in a relationship that's going to last, none of them were based on emotions or feelings, but they were all based on choices that you and I have the opportunity to make every single day in our relationships. And so the most problematic relationships are those that are based on emotion instead of choices. And the Apostle Paul wrote one of the most inspirational and clarifying things ever written about true and lasting love in a letter that he wrote to people living in the city of Corinth. And he's about to give us a true definition of love and actually gives us one of the best choices that we can make that we're going to talk about in just a second that happy couples know all about and intentionally apply to their relationship. And so this passage, if you've been to a wedding before, you've probably heard this passage But he begins this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He goes on to say, If I have the gift of prophecy that can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am, what's that word? I'm nothing, right? Which means this, that it doesn't matter how spiritual you appear to be. It does not matter how much knowledge you appear to have. It does not matter how much faith you have that you could even say to a mountain, mountain, I want you to move over there, and the mountain does it. It does not matter. None of it matters unless you have love. And so even as you look at me and you go, oh, Ryan, he's so spiritual. He's just kind of got it all together. I would caution you to not define my spirituality based on how well I talk in front of a group of people because there's a lot of people that have the ability to talk in front of a group of people. There's a lot of people that can gain knowledge by reading scripture and understanding it. The greatest measure of spirituality is on how well I love. And so if you want to know how I'm doing with God, how I'm doing in my relationship with the Lord, you should ask my family and friends and neighbors how well I love them because that will be the defining mark. And this is what Paul is trying to help us understand, that he's giving us a new definition of what it means to love, that it's not about your spirituality and how you know, special you are and how many times you come to church. It's not about every box you can check when it comes to knowledge or understanding or even faith, but it all begins with love. He defines it even further in verse three. He says, even if I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, he's saying, if you are just giving to get, it means nothing. If you are sacrificing with wrong motives, it means nothing. So after Paul has set the table, then he gives us a literal description of what love is and what our aim should be, and the things that should make up and define what a loving relationship looks like. And he begins in verse 4, and he says it this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Someone wrote kindness. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. I remember last week we, were, we read from Peter how he was inviting us into this place of humility. That's what Paul is echoing here. He's saying, listen, love does not promote itself. It's not proud. He goes on and says, it does not dishonor others. And others, if there's anything that I would say or do that would dishonor you, I'm backing way back from that because I want to honor you. He goes, it is not self-seeking. 
back to that submission competition. You first, no, you first, no, you first. I'm putting all of your hopes, dreams, and desires ahead of my own because it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and this is a tough one, and it keeps no record of wrongs. I think that's so hard for us to grasp, even as humans were like, oh, you know, we like to score keep. But he says, no, 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 there's no, no more score keeping. True love keeps no record of wrong. There is forgiveness. And where there's forgiveness, we begin to move forward together. And then he says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. We'll get back to that in a second. That's important. And then he kind of does a little bit of a rapid fire here as he closes out this verse. And he says, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And I don't know about you, but you know that word always. You know, and last week we did a little Greek lesson. Do you know what the word always in Greek means? Anybody know? Always. See, there you go. Some of you are catching on from last week. Yep, always means always. So it says it always protects and it always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. And as I look at those last four things, there is one that does not match the other three. There's one that seems to kind of stand out on its own that you just kind of scratch your head a little bit about. Do you know which one it is? Because when I think about protecting, I feel like, well, that's up to me, right? I can certainly do that. If it comes to hope, well, I can, I'm, I'm certainly up for that, right? I'm, I'm responsible for that. Always persevering, that's on my plate. I'm responsible for that. But when it comes to this word trust, always trust. I mean, Ryan, isn't that, isn't that the other person's job? to make sure that they are trustworthy? What about this peace trust? Well, this, this word trust in the Greek actually means to believe everything or believe in fully. And what Paul is essentially saying as he is giving us this challenge to trust one another, that the person who figures this out understands that my default reaction is to believe in and believe the other person fully. This is so powerful. Don't miss this. He says, the person that understands this, that understands that my default, that my default is to fully believe in and believe the other person. And I believe that this key part of relationships is probably one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen couples make over the past 20 years. As I've watched people navigate relationships, this is it right here. Because for every single one of us, there is always a gap between what we expect and what we experience. Between what we expect, he said that he would be home at 5 p.m. for dinner, and so I have everything ready. She said that she would be home at 6 o'clock to pick up the kids, right? And so we expect it because they said it, and so we expect it, and all of a sudden what we experience is something different. It's 5.45, he's still not home. It's 6.15, the kids are gonna be late for the whatever. And in between these two things is always a gap. And what we do with this gap will greatly determine whether or not you are a happy couple or a problematic couple that will lead to greater fractures in your relationship. And this is what Paul is trying to help us understand. Because anytime we face a relational gap, we have one of two choices. We can either assume the worst. I knew he was gonna be late. He always does this. He never calls. She never takes their appointment seriously. She never does this. She never does that. And in your mind, you're already assuming the worst before you get the facts. Or Paul is saying, you can make the choice to believe the best. 
And what you do in this gap will greatly determine the outcome of your relationship. So when you are faced with this gap, what do you do? Do you naturally assume the worst? Or do you choose to believe the best? I know I don't have all the facts yet. I know I haven't heard anything. And so until I even understand that, until until I figure all that out, I am choosing to believe the best, that there has to be a good explanation. There has to be a good reason why they didn't come through with what they said they would do. See, your next fill-in. In all of our relational gaps, we can either choose to assume the worst or believe the best. Such an important principle. We can choose to assume the worst or believe the best in one another. And there's this great book uh, by Marcus Buckingham called The One Thing You Need to Know. And he's a thought leader, and, and I don't know that he's a Christian. But, uh, but inside of this book, he talks about how they did a 20-year study on couples that were happy. And it wasn't in, it, the book was not about marriage. But they cite this. 20 years they followed couples, those that were still together, that enjoyed being around each other and were planning on making it for the long haul, that seriously enjoyed one another. And they did this case study, and here was the common denominator that I thought was so fascinating. He said that they had an unrealistically positive view of their partners. That they were blind to their spouse's deficiencies. It's just so important. In other words, that they allowed love to blind them to their spouse's shortcomings. To which we would say, whoa, 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 that doesn't even make sense, right? Why would you do that? And here's why this is so important. Because every single one of us have deficiencies. That even if you aren't experiencing these three things because things aren't going great and you just decide, you know what, I'm just going to go find someone else. Whoever you find next will also have deficiencies. And in case you need further proof, go home today and just look in the mirror and you will see someone that is full of deficiencies. Because all of us have them. And he said these happy couples were unrealistically positive about their spouse's shortcomings. And here was the 20-year case study recommendation. Are you ready for this? This is so important. I thought this was so fascinating. And here it is. It's the next fill-in in your notes. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior in your mind and believe it. And this is exactly the exact same train of thought that Paul is leading us into when it comes to believing the best when we are faced with a gap between what we expect and what we experience. That in your mind already is where the battle is won. Because when you assume the worst, it poisons the relationship, it poisons the conversation, it poisons any forward momentum. But when you choose to believe the best, you've already set your mind frame up to believe the best in that person and protect the relationship and always protect, always trust, always perseveres, always supports, right? This is the idea. And so with that in mind, I want to reread that last verse that Paul challenged us with. In verse 6, it says, Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It does not delight in evil. It doesn't delight in being suspicious or trying to catch the other person in a mistake. It rejoices in truth. It believes the best. Let me ask you, do you immediately go negative when you're faced with a gap? When the facts have yet to come in, 
Do you immediately go negative? Do you search out for the worst? Do you try to find the little things that they're not good at, that they have a shortcoming in? And do you magnify those things? Or do you demagnify them? What's happening in your mind? Do you wait for them to mess up so you can say, gotcha? See, I knew you always would. See, I knew you would do that. See, I knew you would act that way. I knew you would say that. So important in our mental work, in our mental makeup, when we're focusing on our relationships. You see, because when you live in that environment of someone always going negative, when someone chooses to assume the worst every single time, it is a downward spiral. Let me explain how it happens. Because when you have a spouse that is assuming the worst, suddenly you don't want to make any mistakes. And because you don't want to make any mistakes, you know what you do? You walk on eggshells. It's pins and needles. And when you walk on eggshells, guess what? You act weird when you walk on eggshells. And you actually look suspicious. And so even though you're not doing anything wrong because you're walking on eggshells, the other person says, you're acting suspicious. You must be doing something wrong and assume the worst. And it is a downward spiral of negativity that is very difficult to break. Unless someone decides, I'm gonna change my mental makeup in that direction and I'm gonna choose to believe the best instead of assume the worst. I'm gonna believe the best. And then I think it's interesting at the very end of this verse, the very last thing that Paul says as he is defining what love looks like for us, he says love always perseveres. Now why in the world would Paul tell us to persevere? Because he knows this, and that's your next film, that perseverance implies that there is going to be resistance in your love, so be ready to make the choice ahead of time. Persistence just simply means that Paul understands you are going to hit roadblocks in your relationship. There's going to be days you don't wake up and you look over at them and say, ah, I really feel like being married to them. I really feel like being in relationship with them. There's going to be moments that it feels like the bottom's falling out. And if you gravitate towards emotional feelings to dictate your relationship rather than making the choices ahead of time, you are headed for trouble. So that's why Paul says it always perseveres. Know that trouble is going to come in your relationship and I want you to make the choice ahead of time to believe the best, to make the kind of choices you need to make your love stay intact. That even when there's doubt, even when there's suspicion, even when there's fear, that love is determined to trust anyway. That love is determined to believe the best in the other person every single time. Happy couples know that it's a choice. A choice that we get to make. Your choice every single time when you are faced with the gap between your expectations and your experiences. And why is this so important? Because here's your alternative. Your alternative is to delight in uncovering mistakes, thrives on speculation and suspicion, assumes the worst, and embraces doubt. Let me ask you a question as we wrap this thing up. If you had a good friend of yours, a family member that came to you and said, I'm engaged, we're gonna be married, give us some relational advice, how many of you would take that list to the table and say, here you go, here's how you need to do it? How many of you would do that? None of us would. Because we all know that that is a recipe for disaster and yet that is some of how of us, that's how some of us are living our current lives. 
or delighting in uncovering mistakes. The gotchas, thriving on suspicion and speculation, assuming the worst and embracing doubt. And I know the objection, the objection, Ryan, but Ryan, but Ryan. This is the 10th time in a row that they were late. I mean, we've talked about this. Like, if you're going to be late, just call. He doesn't call. She doesn't call. But then we go back to this verse that Paul's instructed us to. And he brings us to this piece of forgiveness that says, love keeps no record of wrongs, which means the 11th time we choose to believe the best. This 11th time around, I'm choosing to believe the best. I'm going to mentally go there. And I don't have all the facts, but I'm going to wait until I do before I make any assumption to the contrary. And until I do, I'm choosing to believe the best. Does that mean that you won't ever have difficult conversations? Absolutely not. But after you have those difficult conversations, you get right back to believing the best in those relationship gaps because that's what happy couples do. We keep believing the best. We keep making the right choices. So I want you to think back, for those of you that are married, think back to when you were dating when you were engaged, when you felt like your relationship was thriving, what was it like? You know what you'd tell me? Well, I mean, there was just so much trust and there was honesty and we respected one another and we had good communication and we had forgiveness. And so Paul would say, then get back to doing that. Get back to making the right choices. But here's our pushback on that. But Ryan, years have gone by and, and now, I, now I recognize that my experience has been different than my expectations. That this hasn't always worked out and now I just don't feel it anymore. I don't feel like making any of these choices. So Ryan, when I feel it again, then I'll start making the choice again. And it could not be more backwards. Because in order to feel the feelings of love, you have to make the choices of love. You see, your next fill-in says this, that right emotions always follow right choices and rarely the other way around. Right emotions follow right choices. Come on, we know this. We know that our emotions cannot be trusted, that 95% of the time they are a terrible source because like yesterday when it was dark and snowing, you were at the bottom of the world. And this morning when it was sunny, you were like, ah, oh, there's hope. You know why that is? Because your emotions are deceiving you. They're deceitful. They can't be trusted. And when you begin to make the right choice, the right emotions follows, right? Come on, you know this is true. You understand this. You never feel like working out. But when you make the choice to work out, you're glad you did afterwards, aren't you? Right emotions always follow right choices and rarely the other way around. Your last villain. Happy couples know believing the best in each other is the best choice for long-term love. Happy couples know that believing the best in each other is the best choice for long-term love. So let me ask you a question as we wrap this up. What are you putting in the gap? Between what you expect and you experience in that relationship gap and in that time frame when you don't have the facts and all those things, are you assuming the worst? And if so, 
you already know the impact it's having on your relationship. But by God's grace, he's inviting us into this other place of choosing to believe the best, to letting love be blind to some of the deficiencies that your spouse has. Just like they put on some blinders and some of the deficiencies that you have. In the midst of that, and in the midst of that margin, creates a space where the right choices can be made so relationship can be sustained. So, as we wrap up this series, I want you to listen to this song and listen to some uh, advice from other fellow river wearers, and then I'll be back out and we'll pray. Isn't this my bad side? Whatever. You're right, we can switch sides. Exactly. All right. together for seven years. Married 11 years this month. Total 14, 14. years. 18 years this summer. Is that count well, and dating? Then, Is that count dating? Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, no. And then 19. 19. 19? Yeah. We met when we were eight years old. Before we ever wrote a song, before you ever sang along, I knew you were only only what I need If you ever came around Or kissed me on my mama's couch I knew your life was meant for me Before we sway Before that dance, girl I knew you would be my one and only world So you can give me this whole life with you standing by my side cause I know I got what I need and I won't let it go no no why everybody gotta learn the hard way communicate you can't go nowhere finding the time to make sure that you're connecting um, and never stop dating each other because they will eventually be grown and gone and you're gonna be stuck with this person and you need to know them <laughs> when you're old you are serving your children by investing in your marriage darling now I know together we'll be growing old and I will never let you go, my love is only for you. Cause it's like this whole world, here in this hand I'm holding. Your soul can't hell or how water, you know we're gonna walk right through. So I gotta learn. 
because yeah. you don't know if you'll wake up tomorrow. Just being careful when you are angry and what you say. I made a promise that I would never raise my voice to Patty or yell. Get past fighting to be right. Marriage is not a 50-50 thing because if it's 50-50, you're always waiting for the other person to do their half. You gotta be responsible for your 100%. For me to believe that she wants the best for me. It's okay to be wrong, you know, and admit it. Thanking each other for the small things. Make it your goal every day to outserve the other person. Our relationship in God has what kept us strong. Pray. God answers all prayers. That's a huge word, forgiving each other. Oh, I'll get it right, get it right if it keeps you by my side. Oh, I'll get it right, get it right on the first try. It was so fun hearing from some of the couples here, and I know that all of our aim is that we want to get it right on the first try, right? And we want God's help, so we're leaning into the most important relationship in our life. And that's what we want for you here at Riverway. We want all of our marriages to be strong, relationships to be strong. And uh, But an even, even deeper desire that we have is that every single person here would make the choice to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because we know that when Jesus is the leader of your life, it makes you better at life. It's gonna make you better in your marriage and your relationship because he leads us into this place of selflessness again and again and again. And so I wanna encourage you that if you've never made that choice or maybe it's been a long time, that even this morning that you'd make the decision and ask Christ to be the leader of your life, to ask him to forgive your sin. And you can do that simply in just a moment as we just pause for 30 seconds as we all take a moment to pray that if you're in that spot and you're ready to cross that line of faith, that you can just simply tell them, say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you died for me and you rose again, and I'm asking you to forgive my sin and be the leader of my life from this point forward. I'm putting all my trust in you. I'm willing to follow you. Or maybe you've already made that decision and during this time of prayer, you'd pray for your marriage, for your relationship. And if you're not married, maybe you'd pray for somebody's marriage that's close to you relationship that you care about. So can we do that just between you and God for 30 seconds? Let's do that right now.
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you gave us the ultimate example of love by sending your son to die for us. By taking all of our sin upon him and still choosing to love us in spite of our brokenness. So we thank you for that. And for those that have received your forgiveness in this moment, may they sense your grace and your love wrapping around them to recognize they're at a point of brand new beginning. Their sin has been wiped clean. You love them right where they're at and now you want to see them grow. God, we thank you for this example of love that we can apply to our relationships and laying down our life and dying to ourself for the other person. And we pray that you'd help us to make the choice by your spirit even today and tomorrow as we are faced with certain gaps. Would you help us make the choice of believing the best? Would you help us to make the choices ahead of time, the things of significance that really define what a loving relationship looks like? And then when time gets tough, that we would always persevere. And we thank you that you're by our side. And when we, when we have you in the mix as a third person in our relationship, it cannot fail. And so we keep holding on to you, dying to ourselves in that process. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.